Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you for this group and, the, and this church and the gift that we have in coming together and studying your word, the means of grace that is to us, to grow us into the image of Jesus. And we pray that you do what only you can do this morning as your spirit moves in us and among us while we study your word. I pray that not only our minds would be opened and enlightened and um, obtain understanding and knowledge of you, but that our hearts would be set on fire to love you more deeply, clearly, accurately, and with more zeal and fervor than we do at this moment. Be with us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We are moving quickly through Exodus. We are now in chapter 20, still, <laughs> starting in verse 22 through 26. Just um, by way of review, we had finished the ten words, the ten testimonies of the nature of God, also known as the Ten Commandments, um, and we had gone over last week the response of the people after God had delivered Ten Commandments. What was the response? They were scared. They were afeared. And they ran. But it ends with this statement. What did Moses do? He drew near the darkness where God was. The presence of God. So Moses walks toward the presence of God. The people run far away. And the first thing we get out of that meeting is what is known as the Book of the Covenant. It's distinct from the ten words. Exodus 24 tells us that the statutes that we're about to go through over the next few weeks were written on parchment, not stone. They were written by Moses, not the finger of God. And they're specifically called in chapter 21, which we'll get to next week, ordinances. Why is this significant? Because they publicize all of that otherwise. I'm sorry, I mean, they... I don't know why it's significant. I, I actually don't understand what the question Okay, is. so it's, it's, it calls it or, ordinances, right? right? And, and why, why would it be significant that he makes a distinction between the ten words and these next things, the ordinances? Okay, sorry, I was going for the wrong thing. Okay, I'm sorry. I, the wrong I, could, I, I can't hear in one ear... And I'm deaf in the other, so it's very difficult. Um, what what uh, what do you think? Any, any, yes. I feel like. Go ahead. Go ahead. I feel like the. the if you take up the front row, you get preferential because you're brave. <laughs> I feel like the Ten Commandments are like. I mean, like we talk about like this, like they're like the umbrella, like they they're kind of like the, the general, like the heart thing, and then okay. everything that comes after is just like the specifics, like and this is what this looks like. like what this looks like. Um, the word ordinance reflects a case decision that rests upon a prior, a prior precedent. It's like a case law. We have a statute, then a case law shows application of the statute to a specific set of facts. Right? Do we understand that's how the judicial system works? Supposedly. If they're being faithful to the Constitution, that's how it works. <laughs> Judges interpret the law in a certain specific fact scenario. They don't write it from the bench. That's what's going on here. God is showing um, a, an application 
of the core, the fundamental principles of law that he has laid down in the Ten Words. And these laws are for a specific social and economic context, whereas the Ten Commandments are fundamental. They're, they're eternal. They're a fundamental thing. I think also, I was thinking about they were on parchment, you said, mm -hmm. and not and written by Moses. Though they're important, they're not fundamental. Yeah. Yes. They're, they're they're less important. They're, they're, they're time temporal. sensitive. They're temporal. That, yeah. And that's where you were going. I think. Yeah. They're, they're on parchment, not stone. Yeah. Okay. So the smart guys point to, point to it this way. They say that these ordinances are what are called descriptive law. They describe how they're applied. Okay. And, and, they, and they fit the needs of this emerging Israelite nation. The descriptive law is grounded in the Decalogue, which is prescriptive law. Does that make sense? Prescriptive versus descriptive. Prescriptive is this is the foundation. This is the fundamental thing. Descriptive is how does this play out? So at your next party, if you want to throw down a $10 word, prescriptive, descriptive. That's the way it is. Um, so the Ten Commandments are fundamental legal principles that need to be supplied to society in every context. They're fundamental. They're primary. They're permanent. They're absolute truth. But the covenant code that we're looking at today and, and, and on is application of the permanent truth to that specific social context of Israel as a nation. Therefore, they are only derivative and valid for that age. And you'll see that as we go through them today. So let's look at Exodus 20. And I go through this long deal because it's going to have application as we go through the laws. Why don't we do this today? Well, we're going to see why. And that's, that's fundamentally the reason why. Prescriptive, Ten Commandments still apply. Descriptive, time and place, context in which they're done. It, it has application there for specific reasons. So let's look at Exodus 20. We're going to go 22 through 26. And the Lord said to Moses, Thus you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. In every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones. For if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. You shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. That's a little weird. <laughs> what do we learn first? Well, this first verse of the book of the covenant the introduction basically is what this is verse 22 is a transition link between the covenant the book of the covenant and what was spoken to the people he refers back to what happened with the ten commandments and uses that as a basis to launch into this book of the covenant so how does he communicate what does he say what does he recall about how he communicated in the ten words. What is, he, what is the language he uses? 
Remember how I what? Talked with you from heaven. Spoke to you. What's significant about him speaking? Why do you say, remember how I appeared to you? He didn't really appear to him. No, he didn't. Moses saw the tail end of his cloak or something. Well, it will eventually. In, in chapter 33, we'll get to that. But, but on the mountain with the people at the foot of it, looking this way, you know, kind of as they're running away, what, what, what did they see? Smoke, fire, lightning, very, very frightening. What, what, what is that? Is that God? No. What was that? Why was that going on? Why were the pyrotechnics things going on? What was going on there? Was that God? It was to hide God from them. So it's an effect of what? Protecting them, and, and, and it's a result of him, his power and presence is there. And as a result of him being there, this results, this lightning, thunder, smoke, all this stuff, with the quaking the mountain, all that stuff. Did they see any form or shape of deity on the mountain? No. He spoke. All they have of God is words, ears. You know, the ear thingies on the top. Of the, this is what's going on. He's speaking, and they're hearing, and words are are are, are coming. But there's no visual pres- There's no visual image of God <coughs> present on the mountain that they see. Right? What does that tell you? What does that convey to you? How God relates to man. Okay. Well, it shows, I can't remember what chapter it's actually in, but if he has to cover himself up with a whole bunch of stuff, he kills himself. Right. Because he would destroy them if he didn't. Yeah. So he says, I spoke to you from heaven. He has to speak, or we don't know he's there, right? Number one, he has to reveal himself. Number two, he speaks from heaven because he's transcendent is a big $10 word. He's big. He's wholly other than us. He's not part of the earth. Right? The EPA doesn't protect his existence. He's not part of the earth. He's not us. He's wholly other. He speaks from heaven. Uh, Deuteronomy 4.12 Then the Lord spoke to you out of the midst of the fire. You heard the sound of words but saw no form. There was only a voice. They saw the effects of His presence but they did not see Him. He is not from earth. He is not part of earth. He is set apart from earth and set apart from you and me. He's different. He ain't us. For us to try to capture Him for our eyes would be to diminish that. He starts off with, you shall say to the people of Israel, you have seen for yourselves that I have talked with you from heaven. How do you deal with a being like that? You do what he says. <laughs> He's running the show here, right? 
And how does he start? Verse 23. You shall not make gods of silver to be with me, nor shall you make for yourselves gods of gold. Does this sound familiar? It's the first two commandments, right? Here we are again. It's the general law. He's laying down that fundamental principle, again, making a link to what had previously gone on before, to what he's about to show application for their context. And it's restated here and then followed by specific statutes of application. How is Israel to worship God? Look at verse 24. An altar of earth you shall make for me and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings and your peace offerings, your sheep and your oxen. And every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come to you and bless you. What is the significance of the altar that God requires? What does that tell you, an altar of earth? What would you expect an altar to a being like this to look like? Yeah? yeah? He says altar of earth. Why? What's the point of that? Yeah, go ahead. He made the earth. Okay, well, maybe. It doesn't require anything from us. It doesn't require anything from us. We're using stuff he made. And it gets more specific on how little we're to do in just a minute, doesn't it? Um, you shall not make gods of silver, you, an altar of earth you shall make for me, and sacrifice on it your burnt offerings in every place. It's humble. It's one of earth, or simple stone, we'll see later. can be simple stone. And by the way, the, the, Palestine was a land, Palestine, Palestine, that's south of here, isn't it? Palestine was a land flowing with milk and honey and also rocks and stones. And so they had plenty of stuff to build altars with, with which to build altars. See, English is killing me. With which to build altars. You were going to say something. I, I was just wondering if this is also um, a means of obedience. Mm. Because they weren't supposed to stay in one place for very long because he was moving them mm -hmm. to where he wanted them to be. And if right. they started setting up altars of silver and gold, they might want to hang out. They would want to start yeah. hanging out there and not be obedient to where he Okay, and, and, that, and that's probably uh, true during the wilderness journey, except for one thing. What are we about to build? I'm, I'm 14 things. What? No, where, where are we about to, what are we about to build? Ark of the Covenant, the tabernacle. It's about to happen. At the end of Exodus, we're going to spend all the rest of our lives on that part. Okay. It says, in every place, actually the rest of mine, uh, in every place, that, that word that's used, or the phrase that's used there, has a, it, there's a definite article in the Hebrew. When I say definite article, what do I mean, Yanelli? Definite article. The, the, it's the difference between una manzana and la manzana, right? A defined and undefined articles. That's right. The place. And every the place is the way it actually reads. And there's a reason for that. What's the reason? What would be the reason? In every the place. It's more specific. It's more specific. And what is he talking about? 
that they are going to be building a place, even though they're moving, there's still going to be one place in which you worship the tabernacle. And ultimately it looks toward the temple that they're going to build in Palestine, not south of here, Palestine, which is Canaan. Okay, so the, the place is the sanctuary in the tabernacle or the temple, and it anticipates a good chunk of the rest of Exodus, which we're going to be devoted to shortly. All right, verse 25. What does he say about the worship that should be taking place? If you make me an altar of stone, you shall not build it of hewn stones, for if you wield your tool on it, you profane it. Ouch. Why is that there? What is a hewn stone? Carved. Carved? Involves what? Making an image can. Our effort, our work, our craftsmanship. Ah, we'll get to that. <laughs> Very good. So now, Kevin. Yes, sir. I thought it was supposed to be of earth. How can they make stone? Well, the idea is that stone is earth. It's just a very solid form of earth. It's still earth. It's not bricks. I think the gold is a mineral from the earth. Yes, but it's crafted. To, to make it work, it has to be crafted. It's not man-made. Not man-made. That's right. And, that, and I think that's the, the issue. Worship should not focus on your skill. And all the musicians in the room go, ouch. <laughs> Isn't that the temptation? Isn't it? Because when I play piano for worship, Gaston looks at me and goes, too many notes. There's too many notes. You know, I'm, I'm going to do the blues runs, and I'm going to do things. He has a that. What's it called? He says, well, last week or whatever, he said, Pier 1, like you're walking through the China cabinet and Pier one, too much, too much. Pier one. <laughs> awesome, pier one. He said his mom would have to grab his hand when he was little when they would walk through the <laughs> That's awesome. He has never, yeah, I have not heard that. That's yeah, awesome. very good. Um, what do you cut stones with? With what do you cut stones? Golly. Chopped sticks. Yes, that's exactly right. Chopped sticks. What, what, what do you use? Chisels. Chisels. Okay, pickaxe. Tomahawk. Don't say tomahawk. <laughs> you use, here it's referring to metal tools, right? So you specifically have metal tools. Why is this such a big deal? Well, yes, it's not supposed to be our skill. What do we know about the, the religion of the Canaanites? Wow. Uh, at the time, what, what, what was some of uh, the stuff that was involved in, in their making of their altars? Do we know anything about that? Anyone, anyone, Bueller, Bueller? It was an intricate and a lot of Very much so. Very much so. We see in the second commandment it says, you shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is... Uh, so it's, it's basically, you don't want any man-made object. You mm -hmm. want God. You want it. So we're supposed to be holy and blameless set apart, mm -hmm. not like the other uh, And that's the issue here, is that their altars were very intricate, 
displaying craftsmanship for the time, I think it was considered to be pretty awesome. I look at it now going, hmm. But, you know, for the time period, it was pretty awesome, I guess. Um, this is a shot at Canaanite altars that are primarily made of cut, finished stone. It was everywhere, these stones and these rocks, and so they, they made use of it in their worship. In contrast, God's people are not to wield their tools in the construction of earthen altars so that there would be no temptation to make idols because the Canaanites used the tools not only to make the altars, but also the idols with which to worship on the altar or by the altar, near the altar. <coughs> so there's a temptation. You start making stuff to worship your God, you end up making your God. Right? Mm-hmm. Is yeah. That, the, that if we start even cutting the stones to make them fit better, then we're proud of ourselves. Yeah. Doing that. that is square. <laughs> it's it's Minecraft. That's what it is. I think another aspect aside from what Tammy just said is, let's say that you you uh, craft one stone to make it fit. Well, then the next time you go, oh well, we did this last time. Maybe we need to do a little bit more. Mm-hmm. And you keep going a little bit more and more. Oh, well, we need to have an intricate piece of wood to set the, the uh, sacrifice on right. or, you know, whatever. Right. And the more and more time that you spend building the base of the altar, the yeah. less time is spent worshiping God. Then you end up having six volumes of papal canon. <laughs> It'll hit you later. All right, the focus has changed when we're in the mix, right? Glorying of self... And the worship of God leads to the worship. I'm sorry, that's a. Yes, there it is. Okay. Glorying of self and the worship of God leads to the worship of self, which diminishes the reflection of the glory of God. The more we're in it, the less it takes away from the more it takes away from God, and we reflect him um, less. I don't think this ties into salvation at all. No, it doesn't. It's it's just for their context. Just for where they are. It's going to be, you know, we're going to have to read it. We're just kind of wasting time until the Sunday morning. Okay. It's Mother's Day, so we don't want to do anything too heavy. All right. Um, look at verse 26. And you shall not go up by steps to my altar, that your nakedness be not exposed on it. That's East Texas translation. That's HCSB, your nakedness. What is up with this? What is the deal here? Why are we talking about this on Sunday morning, nakedness on an altar? What's going on? What is that pointing to? Significance of this. In what way? A contrast to the surrounding culture, how? What kind of activities were going on in Canaanite worship? One, their priests conducted worship in the nude. Just think about that for a minute. Mm. There, there's, there's the pride thing. In contrast, 
The Hebrew religion requires modesty in leading the worship of God. It's not the focus is not to be on us. In contrast, I distract you. In contrast, the Hebrew religion requires modesty in leading the worship of God. I know it's just you, you throw these things out on Sunday morning, people's minds just go out that way. So yes, the contrast is these priests are the pagan cult priests would would. Do the sacrifices, lead the worship, naked. We're not to be like that. We're not to have the focus on us. Um, second, pagan cults centered on forms of worship that promote sex and fertility. Uh, That's a 21st century statement, fertility. Um, pagan cults centered on forms of worship that promote sex and fertility. Temple prostitution was a common thing to gain the favor of their gods for the fertility of their people, their land, and their animals. How convenient. You can combine a religious experience with what you want anyway. Right? That's what's going on. They're not to be that way. They're not to have any hint of that kind of activity in the worship of God. And what they found um, also, third thing, the, the excavation of several of these Canaanite uh, altars uh, were found on high places where you had to reach them by climbing a set of steps. Does that idea remind you of anything? We get to God by climbing steps. I think so. You have the same idea of, um, well, to put it in 70s terms, a stairway to heaven. Um, you can reach, there again, the mind goes out that way, sorry. Um, we can reach heaven, we can reach God, and it's not so with God's people. He has, come, he has to come down to us, we cannot ascend to him. Again, context, time, place, really has nothing for us today. Because right? we, don't, we don't worship in ways that draw attention to our skill and our expertise. We don't worship in ways that draw attention to our desires, our lust, what we want. We don't do that. No, we don't do that at all, do we? Ever? Although these are descriptive, these principles do apply to us in our context. Um, turn to Daniel chapter 2. had thought and I followed it through last night after I was wheezing and recovering from the work that Tammy put me through look at uh, starting verse 31 remember um, Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon has a dream he says to his men the wise men I had a dream it's bothering me um, but I'm not going to tell you what the dream is. You tell me what the dream is. That way I know you have the right interpretation. That's not a high standard at all. I had a dream. Tell me what it was. No therapy session would start out well that way. Anyway, so there it is. Daniel comes to the king. They bring him to the king. And Daniel says this to the king. You saw, O king, and behold a great image. This image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. 
The head of this image was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand. And it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. Now that's just weird. What's the stone? Better question, who is the stone? Jesus. And we know this how? Because we like to think it's true? How do we know this? Further interpretation, mainly by the New Testament. Okay? Dreams. Dreams. Dreams are always helpful. Ever, never. Okay, so. There's other passages, I think in 1 Peter, it talks about who's the stone who was rejected. He says that of himself, doesn't he? Uh, what was the testimony of the false witnesses at Jesus' trial? Mark 14, 56 through 58. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And what are the odds? And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. So they take what he said, they twist it. He wasn't talking about the building. Uh, Hebrews 9.11 But when Christ appeared as high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, and then down to uh, verse 24. uh, for uh, For Christ has entered not into holy places made with hands, which are copies of the true things, but into heaven itself, now to appear in the presence of God on our behalf. He is the uncut cornerstone of the true temple. And he's not defiled with our efforts. God cuts the stone, not us. We rest upon him. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.1 For we know that if the tent that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. I was immediately drawn to Ephesians 2. My argument to you is that Christ is the stone. Christ is the cornerstone here. Christ is the uncut stone. And that this picture of an altar made by stones that are uncut is, again, a type and shadow of him. We don't make him. He makes us. Look at uh, Ephesians 2, start verse 13. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one, and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by what? Abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances. There's that word, ordinances. That's the idea. Time and place for Israel, he abolishes the time and place stuff. Not the eternal, not the stuff that shows his nature, but the time and place stuff. We're not to go to a temple or a tabernacle anymore. Why? Because Jesus. That, always a good answer. That he might create him in himself 
one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God and one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Why is there hostility? He spoke to us from heaven. Where are we? Feet firmly planted on the earth. He's not us. And he doesn't want us even to touch his stuff with our, with our tools that we're so proud of. <laughs> There's a bridge there, or, or a gap there. There's hostility there. There's a war. But Christ makes peace by his cross. And he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. How do you have access to God in the Old Testament? What's given? Okay, where? Uh, sacrifices where? Which is where? In the tabernacle. Thank you. So you have to have a place to get to God. And you do stuff, but there's a place. He, there's no longer a place. He's the place. For through him, we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What does that mean? Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. It's the Bible. How do we get the Bible? Through the apostles and prophets. They wrote it. Jesus didn't write anything. They just recorded what he wrote, right? Or what he said. Yes, and what did that say? We don't know. Okay, so we trust that God works through his apostles and prophets and has brought to us this book that God has written through them. Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, the uncut stone, the one that God prepared, not us. In whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now that's kind of weird. What's growing on the cornerstone? In him, you also, meaning that's what's going on before, are being built together, you are being built together, into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. What does that mean? The church is being built together and God lives in us. You also are uncut stones. If you're in Christ, you didn't bring a tool. You didn't come to Christ through your awesomely awesome faith. You didn't come because you were special. You didn't come because you had something to bring to the party. He created and made you. We don't cut ourselves. Right? It's from Him. And the altar that we see here in the Old Testament, this, this ordinance, is a picture of what God is doing in the church. He is gathering uncut stones and building a temple to Himself. He doesn't need our help, but we work because he's working in us. We don't create him. He creates us. Does that make sense? And he creates us to worship him in a certain way, not based on our own efforts, although he gives us skill, not based on our own lust and to make ourselves look good and to do what we want to do. Ephesians 2, 13 through 22. Three points out of that. The ordinances are abolished. The access 
to the presence of God is not in a building, but through Christ, who is the cornerstone. Another reference for that might be Isaiah 28, which is the uh, I lay in Zion cornerstone, that passage, uh, 28.16. And that he is the cornerstone of a new temple founded not on images, but on the revelation of God in Christ. And we are all uncut stones. And I'm going to leave you with 1 Peter, that passage you referenced, Grant, is a good one. Um, as you come to him, a living stone, now there's an odd visual image, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. We're not made with human hands. To be placed in this temple means you are a work of God. It is not based on your ingenuity or skill as if you could earn a place in the temple. It is certainly not a place that caters to the selfish desires and lust. We reflect him. He does not reflect us. And that has some pretty wide implications for us, doesn't it? How we worship, how we live, what we focus on. Right? Okay. Any other questions, comments? What was that uh, reference in First Peter? First Peter, chapter 2, 4 through 5. Any other comments? You know, this is a real slap to our pride, isn't it? Because we... Uh, funny thing is we're made in God's image. Mm -hmm. So God is on top and he climbs to the top and he seeks for his own glory. Mm -hmm. But when we try to climb to the top and we try to seek our own glory, it's selfish and it's prideful. Right. So even though we're made in his image, we can't do that. Yeah. Because we're not the greatest thing in the universe that right. God's taken. Yeah. And, uh, we're derivative. Yeah. We're dependent. And our, we were created to be dependent on him. And so, and we're reminded that every second of every day when we need breath because we're dependent upon the air. Mm -hmm. And we need sleep because we can't do everything ourselves. And we need food and we need water. We and need yet we try in our expressions of worship to him to do things that sort of tickle our fancy. I, I once, I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. I once, uh, at, a, at another church, um, the, one of the songs that, um, that um, was sung from, from on Sunday morning, every move I make, I make with you. You make me move, Jesus. And you're supposed to bounce, I guess, or whatever. And, and, um, and, and it's like, okay, the words are saying, I'm dependent on God. And then it goes into the, break it down, that part. And it says, um, something very profound, and, and I'm still trying to work through what it means. I'll just quote it for you. Um, na, 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 and it's na, 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 And so there's this constant, and everybody's like, woo, na, 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 do the thing. Wait, that's the sun god. Is that, no, that's raw. That's raw, sorry. Nana? Well, maybe. I have to review my notes. It's Mother's Day. So, so there's that going on in a Baptist church. Na, 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 na. 
No, no. And so, but Tammy and I went to a church one time. It was on Mother's Day. It was on Mother's Day. This is an appropriate story. Uh, it, was an, it, it was a Presbyterian church down in Houston, and we walked in because we were going to be, because uh, I had good experiences with the Presbyterian church up in Nashville. They've all got to be the same. No, they ain't. So we walk in, we sit down, and the pastor, who was flanked by two female pastorettes, what do, what do you do? I, Begins to give a sermon. Well, he talked a lot. Um, on the virtue of God's feminine side. In fact, um, not only is God Abba Father, but also Ima Mother. Yes, Ima Mother. Because really, when you think about it. Yeah, Tammy had smoke coming out of her ears at this point. Um, she, I was, thought we were going to take her to the ER for like a brain aneurysm. But, um, so he's talking about Ema Mother and the fact that, you know, God's nature as woman, mother, that makes more sense because only a woman would give up her only son for the benefit. I, now, that, I wasn't at the strongest place spiritually at that point, but I got to think, I don't know if any mother would give up her son. But that's not the point anyway. God's revealed himself as father. What's he doing? He's using his skill as an orator, such as it was, to develop an argument that catered to the lust, the desires, the um, fancies of the people that he spoke, to which he spoke. See, I did it again. To which he spoke. To whom? To Well, I'm about to get to that. Um, then we got up because we stayed. Tammy wanted to leave. We got up and stayed. Uh, and we got up, and everybody held hands and, 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 and locked shoulders, you know, this kind of thing. And, and, and did the, yeah. yeah, it was kind of weird. Um, and, and I got, some old man snuggled with me and said, um, and we started singing, You're My Brother, You're My Sister by Russ Taff. You know, You're My Brother, You're My Sister. That's all. I'm thinking, this is odd. This ain't natural. <laughs> it was an, a, a different kind of place. And, but what he was saying was, catering to the audience that he wanted to grow. I'm a mother. That's okay, even though it's not in the Word. Yes. Yeah, that's a building out of cut stones. All right. Anyway, with cathedrals, like glass ones, crystals? Well, I mean, just like really ornate churches. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Ours is not. Ours is made with not to say that you should intentionally have a mud hut for your church and the symbolic nature of still made. that we're still made. put together by God <laughs> well, the, and when you talk about the church being made and put together by yeah. God he's the one who puts us together as a body right. which means we shouldn't complain about the stone we're next to. Either. Right, right. We're, we're dependent on one another. If you've ever played Jenga, you know <laughs> you're dependent. The church is like Jenga. <laughs> so if you walk away with anything today, the church is like Jenga. Okay. Uh, no, 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 no. That's not what I'm saying. All right. Which is also cut wood. But, yeah, go ahead. Just, just 
from the Bible that the woman is not the perfect example of the guy cannot give up. What's his face, his name? Who has the son who puts it on an altar? Abraham. 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 Yeah. Thank you. Abraham. It wasn't Sarah. Uh, no, it was not. No. It was Abraham. It, it was Abraham. That's right. Well, there, there, there you go. It's, well, I don't know if I'd have been smarter, I'd have stood up and said that, but I wasn't. I don't You're, you're right. Generally, that should not be the case. Yeah. And yet we have, and yet we have Canaanite worship where they're doing just that. And that, and that actually comes from a black heart, right? God does it. Christ voluntarily takes it on. It's not, it's not like he's an infant doing that, but he voluntarily takes it on. Well, he revealed, he, he identifies with the role of father. Right. He's neither male nor female. Well, he's yeah. spirit, he's not, doesn't have a body like man. So, he, he reveals himself as father. And the fact that he chose that to identify and help us to relate to him in ways that we can is significant. And to monkey around with that is blasphemy. Right. But any, any aspect of God that he's revealed to himself and we go, no, my God's not that way. Mm-hmm. It's like we're taking a chisel to the corner. That's right. To the uncut corner. That's right. We're making a God in our I'm image. I'm going to cut this part off right. because I can't, I can't reconcile it in my brain. And, and the significant thing here for, for our context today is that's how he begins this application of the Book of the Covenant. Who is God? How are we to approach him? And then next week, next week we'll look at uh, Israelite slavery. <laughs> Just going to throw that out there. All right. We'll see you guys uh, next week. Let me pray. Father, we come to your word with nothing to offer but our gratitude and our thankfulness that you have cut us and are shaping us into a building not made with human hands but one that houses the, the very presence of God. And that's because that's what you chose to do, not us. So, Father, do what only you can do in us. Knit us together by your word and through your spirit because of the finished work of Christ who is growing the church worldwide. I pray that he does it quickly and comes again quickly. Be with us as we go into the next service. Be with Philip as he preaches. The word rain down like honey on us that we would be captivated by the sweetness of what you've done for us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen.